Hi, and welcome to the Dying Task Podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick. Do you ever watch Shark Tank? I love watching it with my younger son, and I especially like watching the old reruns on CNBC because it's kind of fun to see a product and you're like, wait a minute, I think I saw that at Costco. <laughs> you see something that became a big thing, or sometimes you see the flip. You Google something that was on years ago just to find out, like, whatever happened to that? And being an entrepreneur or a creator in a word is just hard, really, really hard. Because the reality is that a lot of really awesome, great ideas just don't make it. And they don't make it for a lot of different reasons. My guest today is somebody who had a great idea, something that she needed in her life that she couldn't buy, so she created it. And she has some great advice for anyone who has ever said, somebody should make fill in the blank. And maybe that somebody is you or Maybe it's not you. Sometimes that's just as valuable to know. Paula Vigola is the founder of Lark Adventure Wear. It makes basically active wear for kids. Now, obviously your kids aren't going to boot camp or hit classes, but your kids are moving all the time and the stuff that they wear can make them feel comfortable or uncomfortable. Pallavi's son was only four months old when she would notice that he would get really sweaty in his cotton onesies and that his skin was having a bad reaction to that. So she started looking for some different fabrics to put him in and she struggled to find kid clothes that were a little bit more breathable. And that started her down a rabbit hole to realizing nobody was kind of making the clothes that she was wearing, active wear, that would be more breathable for kids. Now, the challenge with adult breathable clothing, also known as active wear, which is making me think of that. Did you ever see that Saturday Night Live skit, active wear? It's so funny. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it on YouTube. Anyway, um, the problem with the adult active wear is that it takes a lot of chemicals to make that kind of fabric. So that obviously wouldn't be great on little kids' skins. So Pallavi set out on a lark of sorts to make more breathable kit clothes and lark adventure wear was born. So here's the crazy part. She had zero background in clothing, in textiles. She couldn't even sew. Still can't, by the way. <laughs> but in six years, she's created a fabric called Softtech and a seven-figure online clothing company that is now expanding to adult activewear. How'd she do it? Well, that's what she's going to tell you in this episode. So listen to this episode. If you've ever had an idea or something you've wanted to create and you just didn't know where to start, Pallavi shares how she used a background in, get this, the wine industry and hedge funds to figure out a field where she basically was starting from zero. On this Dying to Ask, Pallavi Gola's advice for entrepreneurs coming out of the pandemic, why she is against quitting your day job to follow a dream, how she gives herself grace to make mistakes, how to look at your own resume for hidden skills and maybe will help you start a business, and how to handle the people in your life who might think you have lost it when in fact you might be about to find your next big thing. Pallavi Gola, the creator of Lark Adventureware, is my guest on Dying to Ask. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I thought I had seen and covered it all. Then came coronavirus, a pandemic, anchoring in my living room, homeschooling my kids, and all the things that come with COVID, including a vaccine. It was supposed to get us all back on track, living our best Instagrammable lives. Best lives-ish. The reality is we're still untangling what life looks like in a world post-pandemic. A lot of people describe a sense of never-ending overwhelm and anxiety. Is that just what life is like now? Or are there ways we can get back to living in the now? And this season of the Dying Desk Podcast is asking how we can hit the restart and start living again. Pallavi, thank you so much for joining us on the Dying Desk Podcast. It's nice to chat with you today. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, great. So you're in Pittsburgh, which I've heard is just a really, really nice city. Yeah. I'm a little biased because I was born and raised here, but um, it's a great place to raise a family and we get all four seasons. So I can't complain. Yeah. I remember when I was in my twenties and when people talk about it, it's such a good place to raise a family. I, I never understood it till I had kids. Now I'm like, Oh, it's a great place to raise a family. That is a really wonderful thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it has proven to be true. We have a lot of family around and there's a lot of wonderful things to do uh, with kids around the area. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about this company that you started. Um, I found it so interesting to find out that what you created didn't exist because it seemed like such a no brainer that it would, but going to the background of how this all started for you. Yeah, sure thing. So kind of the origin story. I have a six-year-old now when he was a little baby, I take him on walks outside in the park. He'd be in a stroller or car seat. And when I pulled him out, you know, he would be wearing a normal cotton onesie and uh, he would be soaking wet because he would be hot and stuffy in whatever he was in. And I would be dry in my active wear, which as we all know, is what we all live in these days. And I just pretty wondered, much. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then at night he'd get, you know, a little sticky and sweaty and he would actually get these like red bumps, like a heat rash on his body. And I was like, how do I just solve, you know, this problem? How do I make my child more comfortable? Um, and so I started Googling and I realized, um, active wear for kids doesn't exist or moisture wicking, you know, um, technical fabrics didn't exist and that baby clothes had kind of been stuck in, you know, their traditional ways while, while adult clothing had made a lot of strides, obviously. Um, do you think, do you think that was just because, you know, kid stuff is so you, you're just nonstop washing it. And we just think of, you know, cotton being all natural and being, you know, easy. Yeah, I think like cotton and polyester, polyester isn't natural, but it just isn't an industry that I think has seen the innovation because people don't think like, oh, baby clothes need to change, right? Um, you know, uh, so I think that part of it has impacted it. And in addition, as I did more research, the fabrics that adults wear are laced with chemicals. So it's not like we can just take existing fabrics and make baby clothes out of them. I quickly realized that. Um, and so that really was uh, probably why they didn't exist, right? That the existing materials we had weren't suitable for younger children because of the chemicals and because people weren't really paying attention to maybe the needs of clothing, you know, in the younger market and the juvenile. Yeah. Market. Well, and it's kind of here and gone. I mean, like you use it for a while and then you move on. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I do think like it was kind of an oversight. Um, and I just felt like every parent wants their child to be more comfortable. Like it's kind of a internal, right? Like need that you're like, oh, how can my child be as comfortable if not more comfortable than I am? And mm -hmm. so I kind of took that need and I was like, how do I make better clothing for children? And that's, that's kind of where the spark came from. I think for anybody who is, you know, listening to this and they're out working out right now in active wear <laughs> or say recording a podcast right now with the bottoms being active wear, you know, to hear you talk about like what some of the, the materials that we really rely on a lot of us for most of our day, what they're actually made of. I don't know that we've thought about kind of the magic behind active wear. Yeah. And to be honest, I never thought about it either until I literally started cold calling uh, textile manufacturers to figure out what textile I could use for my own clothing. And I said, Hey, I need something safe for kids. And they started telling me like, well, everything we use for adults, you know, synthetic polyester is the base of that. Um, mm -hmm. They always uh, finish all of the products that we wear with a lot of chemicals that make them moisture wicking or UPF 50 plus or all of those properties that we've come to love. Um, they're all chemically based. Um, and so uh, the chemicals they use are actually known endocrine disruptors. And so as I think as people think about, you know, 
we're working out, we're eating the right things, we're starting to think about what we're putting on our bodies. And that's, you know, if you think about clean beauty, I think the next mm-hmm. evolution that is <clears throat> we're wearing synthetic polyester and these, this active wear eight to nine hours a day, <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> that's what conservative, effect, but okay. Yeah, conservative. <laughs> uh, what, what effect may that have on our bodies in the long term? And hopefully those are the questions people start to ask. And I certainly started to ask them as I found out what was, you know, kind of lurking in our active wear. Interesting. Okay. The, the, the crazy thing though, is you don't have a background in fashion at all. You worked in the wine industry before this. Yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, if I, if I, seen what it took to get to where I am today, I probably wouldn't have started it, but it, it took I said every passion. entrepreneur ever. Yeah, yeah. It took a lot of passion and persistence and really an open mind about, you know, being a, being kind of an early, you know, like not veteran in the industry, starting something totally new. And so I think I just had mm-hmm. to have uh, a great outlook on learning and absorbing and being okay with asking dumb questions to kind of get to where we are today. And there's definitely been some hiccups in the road, but you know, I finally feel like five years into this thing, we're, we're a real business, you know, a real apparel business yeah. that, you know, is not, is not a, uh, an early, early, I guess, like stage company, you know? Right. I mentioned, um, wine, but what your full background, I mean, you, you're a business person, you worked in hedge funds, business degree. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I went to NYU Stern for undergrad, was a finance numbers person and worked at hedge funds, both in New York and LA after graduating for about six years, really figured out that like, I was not a person that only wanted to be behind a spreadsheet. And I really want, I did have that idea that I would go back to business school and work for a product driven business. Like I really wanted to have a tangible product, you know, that it was working on our marketing or whatever that was. And so I went back to business school, actually worked in the restaurant industry before going back to business school, fell in love with wine in California, um, got a few sommelier degrees. And then after graduating business school was like, I'm going to work in the wine industry. And that's the product that I really care about. So I worked for a very large uh, wine conglomerate in California for a little bit. Um, And then I also worked for Wink Wines and they were a startup and they were basically creating their own wine program and wine production program. And so it was the perfect opportunity to take like my love of marketing, my love of product being wine and my business acumen and kind of put it together. And so that was really where I kind of got my spark for entrepreneurship and said, oh my gosh, the startup world is amazing. This, these guys had this idea you know, they weren't from the wine industry and they made it happen. And so I knew that I eventually wanted to start my own business and we moved back to Pittsburgh. I had my baby and that's kind of where the story starts for me. And right. I love your resume. It's like so interesting. (laughs) Every bit of it is so much traveled. The path. It really is. I know. I know. Um, so when you get the idea and you realize, wow, it's interesting. I mean, as an entrepreneur, when you realize that nobody's doing it, but you know, it's a good idea. It's so, I mean, I would imagine just so incredibly exciting, but where do you actually begin? Cause a lot of people, especially moms will come up with something that's especially child focused or a need that they have. Where did you actually start? I literally started by calling everyone that I knew that either had worked in a store, had worked in apparel. I knew some people that were buyers, you know, and I was like, what do I need to know about making clothes? What do you know? Who can you connect me with? And it took a long time between taking care of, you know, a four month old and getting the right connections and learning about, I just wanted to gain knowledge in apparel first to be before I went out to anybody. And then once I felt like I knew enough about like, okay, this is how I would like get a fabric made. This is the process of making clothes. This is how it would finish. 
I still have learned a lot since that early <laughs> kind of knowledge. I was like, let me just cold call textile manufacturers. Cause I knew the first step to solving my problem and kind of keeping my eyesight on what is the end result? I want a better product for kids. I started calling textile manufacturers and telling them what I needed out of the fabric and whether it was possible. And 95% of those calls were like, that's not possible. And then I found one person after about a hundred calls that was like, I think there's something we can figure out here. And there was, it only took one person to say like, I'm willing to work with you. I'm willing to make a fabric from scratch for you one roll and send it to you. And so I started talking to that manufacturer in China. Well, he had an office here and he would import it from China. And then I found like an LA manufacturer. Cause I was like, didn't have the quantities to go to Asia and make like a full, you know, truckload of product. And it just was baby steps. It was like, let me solve one. Let me just make a list of things I have to do. And it may take a while, but I just need to check through the, the list, you know, just make us make a plan as to how you get to the end goal. And it might take you a lot longer than expected, especially as a new mom. But if you kind of just have your eye on the prize and give yourself grace and patience, I think I, I think that's hard to do sometimes whenever you have a goal, but you say, you know, like this is where I want to end up. And I just need to slowly make my way down this path that I've created for myself and be okay when the path is a little zigzagged, like my life yeah. is. Well, it tends to be a lot more fun when it's a little bit zigzagged. <laughs> I think <laughs> and, and the fun stuff happens in the zigs. Definitely. But also I think like, you know, it can be really, uh, you know, kind of hard as well, right? Like you hear knows a lot, you hear knows a lot in the, the path to entrepreneurship or creating a product, you hear knows from customers, you hear a lot of negativity. And I think great entrepreneurs, and I'm always listening to business podcasts and trying to be better, but I see this whole thing as a huge experiment and that's what's yeah. gotten us to seven figures. Like I can't make the lows feel really low to a point where I can't get back up. Right. It's just right. Has to be, brush it off, take small risks and keep going. So when you find somebody who gives you the yes and says, I think, I think I can do it. How do you get from, I think I can do it to actually coming up with the fabric when you're trying to figure out like what to put into it? Yeah, I mean, I had to rely on them because I definitely didn't have the expertise. I said, this is what I want the end result to be. They said, you know, bamboo is a great place to start. I actually had never heard of bamboo. And even though it's come into popularity over the last couple of years, um, you know, a lot of what I had heard about bamboo is that it's like very delicate and hard to wash. And I was like, I don't want that product for parents that are busy or, you know, that doesn't seem like a product that would be easy to, to deal with. And it has to be easy, but it also has to be functional. It has to do what right. I'm going to do. And so, you know, I used a lot of words to be honest, cause I don't have, I didn't have the textile technical expertise. And then they said, okay, let me, you know, go back and try this blend and try this knit. And then I'll send you a roll and you make clothes out of it. And you tell me if it works, you know? Um, and so then I had to say, how do I make clothes? And I, <laughs> you know, I have fabric check. How do I make clothes? Uh- <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you even sew? No, I actually don't sew to this date. And my kids are always like, so do you sew the clothes when you go to work? And I said, no, I don't sew the clothes. Um, but, you know, I've definitely learned about like stitches and sewing. I physically do not have the skill to do it. But, you know, again, those are things like that I needed to learn to communicate what I wanted. And thankfully, like, I think I'm a person that sees a big vision and then I can break it up into small parts to figure out how to pull that vision together with the I love it. Yeah. How did you know when when they're sending you the stuff? How did you know it was starting to work? I honestly didn't know it was starting to work until I 
went to a pattern maker in Cleveland that I had found. And I was like, I have these clothes. I literally was like, here's a sleeper and a onesie. Let's just make a couple of these out of this fabric. And then I tested it. Like I tested it on my own kid. I tested, it was this really like, it was bright neon for some reason, like yellow. That was like what they'd sent us as the role. And so all of our prototypes were in this like horrible yellow that we would like give to parents and have them touch and have them try. And I'd be like, it won't look like this in the end, but I need to know whether you think they're more comfortable. Um, and so we got that initial feedback from friends and family and, you know, people I'd known and, um, that it did seem to be superior. And then I was like, let me just test it again. Like, let me take this role. Let me take it to LA, you know, let me get some clothes made. Um, and then, um, we did a small run and we did a Kickstarter. Uh, and I was like, let me get the word out and see, do people want this? Do people have the same problem that I'm having? And we got to our goal on Kickstarter and, um, it's not as smooth as all of that sounds. Cause I don't want yeah. to come off like, uh, and then we did it. And then we did it. There's a lot of, lot of bumps in that road. And then we, you know, we launched in technically the summer of 2017. Um, and yeah. When you do a Kickstarter, um, there's so many Kickstarter products that like go nowhere. And I love Kickstarter. To me, it's like, um, it's like watching Shark Tank, you know, you, yeah. you start to root for people or you go, nope, I'm not seeing that one. But Kickstarter is like so full of possibility and promise and ideas. And I love the idea of it. Being on the other side of it, is it a little terrifying as well to put yourself out there and to ask people to help you help your own dream come to fruition? Yes. I think like, I've never been a person, like I'm not a salesperson. And so yeah. it really took me, you know, getting out of my comfort zone. I've changed a lot over those last years. Um, but it was hard for me to like email my friends and family and be like, this is what I'm doing now. I hope you don't think I'm crazy, you know? And I think it is a little bit of imposter syndrome and you kind of have to fake it until you make it. And I certainly was faking, not faking it, but you know, it's true. I didn't know a lot about clothing and I was trying something new and I didn't, you know, know as much as I know now, but I had to make people feel confident that we were like creating a product. And I did believe in our product that, you know, we were creating a product that was better. And so it was a little nerve wracking for me. It was definitely took me out of my comfort zone, but I think the whole journey has taken me out of my comfort zone, to be honest. And, and that's yeah. been a too. It's good to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So flash forward a couple of years, not only did you come up with the technology to go into the fabric, um, the company is doing really well. Yeah. Yeah. We've, um, grown significantly. We now, you know, our seven figure business, um, we, uh, have grown from being, you know, zero to two years old in sizes to actually we go up to 10 years, um, old and kids and women's is actually a huge part of our business as well, because as moms, you know, tried, our clothing for their children, they were like, I want some of this for myself. And so we have so many loyal customers. We have a huge community of moms that love our clothing and we're one of the main brands in their closet. And so it's always helped us to make clothes for, for them as well as we grow. So are you purely online? Are you in distributors as well? How does that part of it work? Yeah, right now we're only online and that's the way we've grown. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of where my, my like business acumen is. But as we are growing, we are kind of looking at other possibilities to get into wholesale channels. But um, right now we're just online at our website. And tell me about the company name. Where did yeah, that come from? Sure. It's called Lark Adventure Wear. Um, and when I started it, I didn't think we'd be doing women's clothing and, and all of these other things that we do now, but um, to go on a lark kind of means to go on like 
you know, get into a little mischief or, you know, be a little naughty. And I thought that totally embodied what a child is. And as they explore the world around them, right, they're always pushing boundaries. And then adventure wear, it's kind of uh, the name I gave to, to the clothing because it was sun safe and made them comfortable. And so instead of being active wear for kids, it's adventure wear because, you know, kids are always, it always made me really excited to see like a child explore and discover new things. And the purpose of the clothing was to make them as comfortable as possible as they, you know, created those experiences and um, were, you know, kind of experiencing new things for the first time. And so the fabric itself is called soft tech. Is that, I mean, we hear a lot of these different types of um, names, like whether it's dry fit, dry weave, dry, you know, fill in the blank. Um, is it similar to that? And when, when a label like that is on a clothing, is that a patented technology? Yeah. So a lot of the times they give the name to the fabric, if it's unique, um, to kind of tell consumers, this is a different fabric that we've created but you can't put a patent on textiles, which is why we have these names for the fabric. Oh, yeah, because- I did not very, know that. That's interesting. So it's very hard to get a patent on fabric because if some person took like our knitting technology, but they changed a percentage of the fabric composition, the patent wouldn't hold. So they're not strong patents, which is why no one gets them. But that's also why, you know, us using the name Softech hopefully gets the consumer to perk up, listen to why it's different, and understand, especially in the kids space, no one's really making like technical fabric for kids. So for us, it's a really great tool to be like, hey, it's super soft because I don't want someone to think it's crunchy and slithery and plasticky. Um, I want them to know like it's super soft, but it has like these technical benefits too. And that's exactly what our product is. You know, it's durable, it's comfortable, it's soft, but it also keeps children more comfortable. Right. I mean, I remember when my guys were really small, you know, you pull them out of the stroller and their backs were just like drenched in sweat, Um, you know, so, and when they get uncomfortable, they wake up, (laughs) you know, from a parent's perspective, keeping them comfortable has lots of different, you know, side benefits to it. Absolutely. And I think for us, like, you know, even when I was putting my newborn to sleep, I'd always be like, is the room too hot? Is it too cold? Are they, do they have too many layers? And that only continued as they grew up. So like our actually most popular age range is like three to six because parents are busy. They're getting their kids ready in the morning. They're getting them to daycare. It's hot, it's cold. And like what our fabric can do is keep them comfortable, whether it's hot or cold. And so it kind of eases that um, stress, I think for a parent. And as I mentioned to you before, like that's my whole goal. How do I make clothing that makes life easier for parents and more comfortable for kids. I I love entrepreneur stories, but I especially love um, hearing about moms who find a need and then actually follow through on creating something that they know they needed in their life. There are a lot of people who come up with ideas, but don't really know where to start with them. What would be your best advice for people who maybe have that idea, but they don't necessarily have a ton of business experience. Where do you even begin with something? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, First, you have to figure out whether that idea can make money. Because I, I mean, I would love. I, I think it's really important if you're going to spend your own resources or savings to put, you know, into something that you real. You hope that there's a market for it. So before starting anything, I think you take the idea to a bunch of people, or you create a survey and you figure out whether it's a good idea. Do people want it? You know, and then. Sometimes that idea is just something you can tinker around and have for yourself. And sometimes it's an idea that a lot of people want. And I would start there because I think so many people put their hard earned money or savings into creating something that maybe only a small amount of people want. And I think 
what if it's a small amount of people that want that, then there's a path to to getting that product created for those small, you know, amount of people. And then if it's a big idea, then you have a lot of decisions to make, and you know you can kind of pave a path forward. But I think it's always important to analyze, especially with that business acumen, like how many people want this. Do a lot of people want it? Awesome. Then I can. I should definitely spend my time working on this project. You know, there's the old saying, um, and I know you and I share something in common. We both love business podcasts, um, but there's the old saying, don't quit your day job. And I think there's a lot to it. I do hear of a lot of people saying like they pursue something while not giving up everything, especially if they have other responsibilities as you did with a family. Yeah. Yeah. So I was consulting actually right until I had my child, I was going to go back to consulting. I think I was in this unique position where I hadn't gone back yet. And then I had a lot of savings from working in finance. So I would say my position was unique in the fact that I was like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom and I'm going to start this business. And my other job was taking care of this child. Um, <laughs> but you know, if I had a, had a job at the time, I think like perhaps I wouldn't have gone as far. You never know. Right. So I think there's always a time and place. And I think you need to analyze how important something is to you take the steps at the right time. If you have a secure job, totally hang on to it. And I know so many entrepreneurs um, that had jobs for a very long time and had a side hustle and they made it work. So I think it's always important, especially in this post pandemic age to analyze your priorities. And I think so many people stretch themselves so thin. So if this is something really important to you, then you'll find time to do it. And if it's not that important to you, that's okay too. Sometimes a great idea can wait a few years. If you're a busy new mom, you know, and I think that's a lesson that I've actually learned that even in the, I have two kids and I think I put myself through a lot of stress trying to build this business and would I do it again? Yes, but I probably do things a little differently. I wouldn't put as much pressure on, you know, on myself owning a small business when I just had my second child and I was trying to grow this business. And so I think, you know, it's important to understand your priorities, to understand where you are in life and give yourself the grace to do it on your own timeline. So that is so honest. <laughs> Great <laughs> advice. Okay. The third part I want to ask you about is how about family? Because I would imagine, you know, like doing everything that you're doing, I'm curious to know um, what those around you said, because you didn't mention you put out the Kickstarter and then had to tell people, look, I'm doing this now. And I know you know me from these other things, but here's where the direction I'm going. How did you handle family and people wondering like, is this really the best thing for right now? I think I had a lot of people that, uh, my husband was my number one supporter from the beginning. He's always been my number one supporter. So I don't think I, I could not have done that without his sub unwavering support throughout this. That, that was great. Um, I think there's always people, especially friends, like, you know, that may look at you like you're crazy and they're in their day jobs. And they're like, what is this woman doing making clothing when she was doing all these things before? Um, and that was actually really hard. It's a hard to be an entrepreneur. It's really lonely sometimes because you are the crazy person in the room um, with an idea. <laughs> and, and sometimes the only person in the room. Yeah, the only person in the room, you're coming up with an idea and you're asking people to believe in you. And that can be really hard. It can be. Um, and I definitely, I, I do think it takes a certain personality to be able to push that to the side and kind of push forward. And that is that is the craziness of an entrepreneur, that you have a vision, that you're very focused on that vision. And although you take advice, you're pretty passionate and your passion is what leads you to, to you know, focus on the end result. On days that were really difficult or when, you know, the, the, the fabric wasn't showing up or, you know, you're dealing with 
doing things, you know, halfway around the world on days where it was really, really tough and you were dealing with your, your kids at home. What did you tell yourself about staying true to the, the goal? Yeah, I think I had one of those mornings today. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do think having a mission that goes beyond like making money is really important as an entrepreneur um, because I, I, every day I wake up and I say like, I'm leaving my kids and I'm, you know, pursuing this and I'm spending time away from my family because I truly believe our products are helping others. And I think, you know, without some outside mission or purpose or passion, it's really hard to get through those times. So if you're only doing it for a paycheck at the end, I don't recommend going into your own business. <laughs> I think uh, if you're doing it because you truly believe in the product or what you're creating or how you're serving others with what you're trying to create, that those that's honestly what does help when 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 it's not going so well. Where do you see LART going, say, in the next five years? Yeah, um, we have not taken any outside capital, but we are trying to raise some money right now and to grow and scale. And so... Um, I think, you know, getting into retailers, we've only been online to date, um, growing our women's business, which has been really promising. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, focusing on an underserved woman who like maybe has a different body type or is changing in their bodies and making them feel confident. I think women's is a huge opportunity for us. And I think continuing to just come out with new products that help help parents and kids. Oh, it's really, it's really interesting to find out your background and thanks for sharing it. I appreciate it. What's a good way for people to find out more about Lark and also to keep up with what you're doing? Yeah. Um, you can, I actually share a lot of my life on the Lark Instagram at Lark underscore adventure wear. Um, and then definitely check out our clothing at larkadventurewear.com. Um, it's super soft and comfortable for kids and adults now. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's really nice to chat with you and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You can check out Lark Adventurewear on Instagram at lark underscore adventurewear. Pallavi's family is Indian and her kids have a really cute video on Instagram right now explaining an Indian tradition that welcomes spring. It is seriously one of the cutest things I've seen in a long time. I think I've watched it like 17 times straight. Price-wise, the line only available online and I would say it runs... Oh, I don't know, somewhere between Old Navy and Gap Kids. I would say that's kind of the price point that they're looking at there. If you like this episode, please take a second, screen grab it, and share it on your favorite social media platform. And as always, if you could leave us a rating or review wherever you're listening to the show, that would be so helpful. And speaking of helpful, thank you, Brian Lau, for always being our awesome show editor. We'll catch you next time on Dying to Ask.